Well, good morning. Nice to be back here with all of you. I know many of you have asked me how the trip to Haiti uh, has gone. I will share that in just a little bit, some things that we were able to do there. But I want to uh, encourage you to take out your uh, outline. Uh, you have a place to write some notes, maybe in between the verses or on the back as well. Uh, we're in this series, as you can tell from the screens and also the bulletin, Live in the Dream where we are uh, talking about the basic premise that uh, our American culture has been incredibly blessed by God. Materially, we've been blessed by God. We are the rich, you would have to say, in the economy of the world. Um, and yet, in this culture that says you need more and more riches, that constantly pushes us to get rich, God's Word wants to say, oh, no, no, no. You want to be rich. You want to be good rich people. You want to understand what it means to be rich and to live in that instead of trying to get, get, get. Just be what you are. Be rich and understand that. Um, as compared to other parts of the world, we are incredibly blessed. As I said, we uh, just spent a, a week in Haiti with a mission team. Our Costa Rica team got back on Friday so we can praise the Lord for the work that they did there, um, as well as our Haiti team. Yes. Um, just spending time in other countries of seeing what differences God is making in those lands and trying to come alongside and serve them in many ways. Uh, just a few stories from our Haiti trip. Um, when we landed in Haiti, it did not take us more than about a half hour to realize that we are in a different land uh, by something that happened driving from the airport to the Mission of Hope uh, place where we were staying. We had some people taking pictures uh, with their iPhones and the cameras up on the ledge, and one of our gals uh, put her camera kind of up there on the windowsill of the bus that we were in, literally a school bus that we were in, traveling down the road, and we came to some speed bumps, and so the driver had to stop, and obviously some of the Haitians know that the buses stop at that point, and so the phone that she had up there taking a picture, one of the Haitians jumped up and grabbed it from her, and it was gone. And my first thought was, uh, Toto, we are not in Kansas anymore. Uh-uh. We are in a different place and a different land. And really, to her credit, I mean, after a time of thinking, okay, what did she have to do to cancel the phone plan and some other things like that, um, she really came to the place of saying, okay, God, if you wanted him to have it to be able to feed his family or to live a little bit more because he has that, then I'm okay with that. And, and, and God bless him if that's what he needs. Obviously, you know, hopefully convict him for the wrong that he did. But Lord, if that helps him more than it would me, then I'm okay with that. I, I mean, as rich people, we have to look out for those kind of things. We have to look out from people trying to take things from us. Rich people have different issues, different temptations, different situations, different responsibilities, different decisions that we make that we need to be aware of. And so biblically, Paul jumps into this and he says, okay, some of you who are rich now in the world's economy, Here's what I want to say to you. I want to speak directly to you and address some of those things that may take over your life, may take some issues up in your life. And so if you have your Bibles, if you are not opened already, open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul could have chosen to say a lot of things, but here's what the Holy Spirit gave him to say. And I'll just read the first two verses in our set of verses. Next week we'll end our series by looking at uh, verse 19, but let me go through and start with verse 17. It says, For the rich in this present age, charge them not 
to be haughty, not to think of yourself higher than others. The NIV says not to be arrogant. Have you ever been in a restaurant and see a rich person who is kind of creating a stink with a waiter or a waitress or the manager, and yet they're doing it in just kind of an arrogant way, right? right? I remember hearing about a mission trip. A good friend was telling me about um, and, and seeing this, that there were two to three mission teams kind of put together. Churches were combined, and um, our church didn't know another church that was there. Um, but uh, halfway through the trip, they demanded to be changed from the primitive hotel accommodations that they had to a, to a five-star complex in their country because they didn't like the accommodations that they had on a mission trip. <laughs> I quickly thought their leader did not prepare them for what a mission trip is and how you serve. And wherever you go, you say, okay, Lord, we will be servant and we will be mindful of that. It seems like the richer you get, the more demanding you get, the smarter many times we think we are. And there's an ugly side that can kind of rise up in the midst of having wealth and prosperity. And we think, We think that as we pile up the money, as we pile up the possessions, somehow as those get bigger, that those are a reflection of who we are. And we get a little pompous. We we very easily can. And we need to be reminded that's not who we are. That's just what we have. And somewhere in this American mindset, unfortunately, we have gotten this idea in this American culture, we've gotten duped into believing that the sum of what we own like the, the, the shoes that we wear, the status that we have with our clothes, the, the phones that we carry, the cars that we drive, the places or the houses that we live in are who we are. And though that is not who we are at all. That's just what we have. That's just how we've been blessed. That's what our possessions are. It's not us. And again, a stark contract with, with uh, our mission trip, we had a, a great group of people. Eight of them were working on the medical uh, side of things. Uh, my wife was able to kind of head up that area, and, and they traveled around to four different villages and cared for people in the medical clinics that they had. I was able to work on the work projects, and we did some painting. We did um, some tree planting because they've deforested much of their property, their lands over there. Um, and also, uh, we were able to give project money and work a little bit on a latrine facility that they were needing to have. Um, But one of the fun things that we were able to do as well was have village time. And that was for our groups to travel around just through the local villages, paired up with an interpreter and a local pastor, and just travel into the villages and talk with the people and share with them. It it could be an evangelistic message if they don't know the Lord, but many of them that we got to interact with do know the Lord, and so we were able to pray with them and further them along. They were so willing to welcome us into their homes. Many of them having so, so little. I mean, some of the rooms about as big as this piano here. And, 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 and say, let me move the stuff so I can get you in here and come on in and let me get some chairs and have you sit down. And, and just the hospitable spirit when they didn't have much, but wanting to share what they had. Um, some of the members on our medical team, my, my wife was on this team, and um, we spent some time in, in Africa a few years ago, and she was familiar with some of the voodoo practices that went on in Africa. Some of the, some of the things that the people did, they wore these little belts, these cloth belts upon their uh, stomachs when, when they were into voodoo some. And we had been told that um, there's a lot of Catholicism in uh, Haiti, but it's mixed in with voodoo. 
And so the group that she was on and praying for and working with some of the homes and the people, they spotted this. My wife saw on a little baby who had been ill and that the group was praying for that there was a voodoo cord that was tied onto the waist. And so she, you know, just very politely asked, um, you know, uh, if you're a Christian, you should not have this. You don't need this on. You don't need Jesus plus something else. Certainly not another practice. And so whatever witch doctor, whatever practice they have put upon you, you don't need that. And so the team was able... um, Um, at their permission to cut that off and say, it is only about Jesus and we'll pray for you and that's all that you need in that and we want to help you and support you and sponsor you and you can get checked out and looked at through the organization that we were looking um, with. But we didn't go in there with this arrogant or this haughty mindset of saying, we're going to bring our God into your country. We went in there with a sense of our spirits where we want to be a servant and model that servanthood as Christ would do that. I was blessed to get to be with my two kids, uh, Brianna and Caleb, during um, the work project times. Um, one of the funny things that happened was when we were sitting down, and the kids just loved playing with our kids. Um, the Tico Blondes, what they called them, Tico Blonde, Tico Blind, the little white ones, um, is, is what, they, what they called our kids. And um, at one time, my son kind of felt like he was getting burned. He was out playing soccer, doing some other things like that. And so he sat in the shade for a bit, and the kids just, just, just come around you, and all the African or the Haitian children just crowd around. And so he had to put on some suntan lotion, and so he put on the suntan lotion, and you should have seen their eyes like, is that how you get white? You put on this lotion like this? <laughs> like, hey, I want some of that. Let me put it on too. <laughs> but to the Haitians... Any Westerner who comes over, we are the rich ones. We have, we have the white skin. We're, we're, we're rich. We're, we're the ones living the dream. And any, you know, we may not feel like we are here, and certainly materialistically, we, we have a lot that has been upon us and given to us. And so Paul says, hey, be careful, because you have some different issues that you go through. And so the next part he says there, let me just read it in succession again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. In the Greek, this word means not to put your confidence in, not to put your trust in riches, not to lean into your wealth. Not to lean in and think that your wealth will hold you up. Not to build up things around you, whether it be your finances and your money that you pile up. Don't lean into those possessions that God has given into you because it won't last. The smartest man in the world, wisest man in the world, Solomon, had this to say out of Proverbs 18.11. He said, "A a rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. In other words, he builds it up all around him, and he feels as though he's above it all. Nobody can get in on him. He can't or she can't be harmed. She's above it all. And there's a pride, and there's an arrogance, and there's a haughtiness that may come along. I'm above it all. Nothing can get in on me. Do you know how much money you need to live or to build up those kind of walls around you? I'll tell you how much you need. I shared this a few weeks ago. Just a little bit more than you have right now. 
is going to be the answer that we find to that question. Just a little bit more, just a higher wall, just a bigger stack of money around so I can lean into that and feel safe and protected. What it says in Ecclesiastes 5, uh, verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. It's vain. It's not going to last. The, the rich who like to get rich are constantly looking for identity and security in their riches. And I just have to say, First Baptist, that is a bad way to be rich. It is a bad way to live the dream. And it's a way that God does not want you to have to experience because at the end of it is ruin. Yes, we are rich, but there's a way to be rich and honor God. And so Paul says, I want you to be good at being what you are. I want you to be good at being rich. He goes on to say, again, let me read the verse in succession. As for the rich in this present age, and by this time you know that's us, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Now read these next three words with me. You ready? But on God. But on God. Now he's talking to Christians here. He's talking to believers here. Those who have money. And he's reminding them, don't put your hope in money. Instead, put it on to God, into God. Because God knows, revealing it through his Holy Spirit to Paul, that the number one competition for your heart, please understand this, the number one competition for your heart is your money is your possessions, is your things. And that's what gets in there. That's what separates you from an intimate relationship with God. It's the easiest way. And that tension will be there for you for the rest of your life, especially in the culture that we live in. That's why Jesus said this out of Matthew 6.21. He said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see what he's saying there? He's saying where your money is, your heart is going to follow that. Wherever you put that money, your heart will soon be right there. Please hear me on that. Wherever you place your money, wherever you spend the largest amount of your money, your heart is going to follow. Now, it also works the other way. Wherever, you're, wherever you decide, no, I want to I I put my money into a good place for my heart, then your heart follows you into that place as well. And so I'm not going to develop this thought right now, but I want to really talk about this maybe a little bit more in the fall time. We talk about through some issues and some capital campaign and some things coming up here, but a surefire way for you to grow closer to God. Please hear me on this. Give Him more of your treasure. Because the more treasure you give to him, the more your heart's going to follow that. These are the words of Jesus. Where your treasure is, there's your heart going to be. So if you designate more for him, your heart is going to follow more after him, what you've given to him. And we need to be careful not to lean into the things of this world, but to lean. Paul tells us, lean into God. 
And what he has blessed us with, not what he's blessed us with, but into God instead of the things that he's blessed us with. Because you can get that money stacked so high around you and you feel like you have it made. And then one day your spouse comes and tells you or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, I've been having an affair on you. And the things you're leaning into are down. And no amount of money can make that up. You come one day and the doctor says, you have cancer. And money can help get you better treatment, but no amount of money can give you that health back. Or one day your daughter or your son says, I don't want to be in your life anymore. And now that money, the stuff, the things, that your high wall that you thought, there's no amount of money that can replace that relationship. Or maybe you've been fired from your job. You're leaning too hard. If at that point you are just broken and distraught, it's because you're leaning too hard into the things instead of into the one, into God. Paul says, but on God we lean. Lean into Him. Don't put your faith and your trust into your things, but into God. So let me ask you, what are you leaning into? What are you leaning on? Let me ask you just three quick questions in this. Do you have money in the bank, but no peace in your heart? Do you have money in the bank, stuff? You're outwardly, you're living the dream, but you have no peace in your heart. Another question, does, does fear of not having enough hinder your ability to give? You know, when, when maybe you made $50, it was easy to give five of that to the Lord. You can't do a whole lot with $5. Maybe I'll skip a meal if that's what I have to do. But yeah, $50, I'll, I'll, I'll tie that. I'll give that back to the Lord. I'll give him five. That's not hard. More zeros get added. Now you make $500 and you're feeling, wow, $50. That's a little harder to give that over. Now you make $5,000. Wow, $5,000 a month. That can really do something. $500 is what I should give or think I should give, but boy, I could have a brand new car, make car payments on that as I go along. The more zeros are on your paycheck, the harder it is to give. Stats show that. The richer people have a harder time of giving percentage-wise because we lean into our stuff Fear creeps in. What if something happens to me? I build up these walls because I feel protected. I feel, in, I feel secure when they're around me or stuff. And that's your third question. How hard is it for you to do the right thing when it's going to cost you financially? It's going to cost you financially. So how hard is it to make the tough decision, the hard call? What are you leaning into? A couple weeks ago when I last spoke, I gave you a phrase, a saying, up here on the screen. I think it's coming up here on the screen. There it is up on the screen. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. In fact, would you read that phrase with me? Read it with me. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. But let's now finish this. Read it with me. But I will not trust in my riches. Next, Next phrase there but in Him who richly provides. See, that's where that's going. Yes, we are rich. God has blessed me. Yes, He has made me this way. 
but I will work hard not to trust in those riches, not to lean into those riches, but into Him that is God who is richly blessed. So, so we've said the phrase, how do we now live that out? How do we put that into practice? Because, you know, honestly, the, the Christian who uh, leans on their money must look to God like the 16-year-old who drives a Porsche. Right? Have, you, have you ever seen this? Maybe, maybe not here in Stockton quite so much, but over in the Bay Area or other places or go through you know, Beverly Hills or someplace like that. You see these little 16-year-olds and they're driving these red Porsches and they're all pimped out and they got their hair flowing in the wind and they're at the, you know, the stoplight and they're cruising line. I am sure none of us have pulled up alongside that person and said, oh, there's a hard, industrious young man right there, are we? You don't say that, do you? What do you say? That's not your car, right? That's daddy's car, huh? That, that's daddy's possession that he has. Man, that is the same way it is with us. When we are flaunting and taunting and arrogant with our stuff, that, that, that must be how God looks at it. God's looking and saying, that's not yours. Whose is it? Yeah, it's daddy's, right? It's God's. That's daddy's stuff. He's given it to you. Enjoy it, and that is okay. Please do not hear me say that you cannot enjoy those things that the Lord has given to you, but do not lean on them. Do understand where they come from. Be responsible. That's daddy's. Live like it. Live as such. I mean, think about it. Do we remember where it comes from? Do we give him honor and thankfulness every day? If you even drive a car, let, 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 let's not say a Porsche, okay, or a little sports car or something like that, or a big tank or something that you have, or, you know, something that's just all beat up. And If you drive a car and it gets you from point A to point B, do you realize you are richer than 92% of the people in the world? You're in the top 8%. 92% of the people would look at you and say, He's rich. She's rich because you have that. Do you, do you feel blessed to lean over a drinking fountain and drink clean water? Because today, one billion people in the world will not be able to lean over a drinking fountain and have access to clean water. That's why Charlie Hess and other groups go out and, with living water and do work to bring those kind of wells and water into cultures that need them and villages that need them. When you sit down today and eat your lunch, please do not feel guilty for being able to do that. But what I would hope that you would do is give a sincere prayer to the Lord of thankfulness because you realize that some 800 million people in the world today will not have any food to eat and 300 million of them are children. And every couple of seconds, someone dies from hunger. I mean, the spare change that we have, uh, Americans, we live on about $100 a day, whereas there are 1.3 billion people in the world who live on less than a dollar a day. In fact, experts believe that you could feed the entire world on what Americans spend on ice cream in one year. Now, I'm not telling you don't enjoy your ice cream, okay? I love ice cream too. Cookies and cream, bring it on. I'm ready for it, all right? But please feel 
grateful and understand where it comes from. I don't say that or share that to make you feel guilty, but to feel grateful and responsible for what you've been given. Food is a gift. The clothing is a gift. The car that you drive, as much as you might complain about it because it doesn't look just right, it is a gift. The drinking water that you have is a gift. The shelter that you sleep in is a gift from God. And it comes from him. In fact, watch how this is an amazing set of verses. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn back in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, I can't find Deuteronomy. Okay, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All right, fifth book in, no problem. Hey, we allow table of contents around here as well too. So if I spout one off, you don't know where it is, no problem. Go to the table of contents, find that. But this is the fifth book into the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 8. The Israelites are about to go into the promised land. They're about to get possession of the promised land that God has given to them. Watch how much the Israelites are like us as Americans. You will constantly hear me say the Israelites are just like us, only more so. Watch this. Deuteronomy 8, 10. Says, and you shall eat and be full. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given to you. Take care then, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full, uh oh, that's going to happen at lunch today. Watch this now. When you have eaten and are full and have built good houses, yep, we all live in nice houses, and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your 401ks and your puppies and your cats that you feed at your homes, and your silver and your gold is multiplied and your furniture and your housing and the items that are in there, and all that is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God." Number one competition for your heart is your what? Your money, your possessions, your stuff. It's true four or 5,000 years ago. God calls it spot on right here with the Israelites. Same with us today. Go to verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Uh-oh, there we go. God, I, I, I've been to school. I've been educated. I've pulled myself up by the bootstraps. I'm a self-educated man or woman. I found the job. I did it all. I'm getting this income. It's mine. Look at what God says. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get what? To get the wealth. To, to earn a living. To be blessed in the way that we are blessed. Now, there's no harm in enjoying your good things, but just realize you are blessed to be a blessing. And you see that throughout Scripture, that you are blessed to be a blessing. When someone is blessed, they're to the bless other people. And so don't forget how blessed you are, number one. But then remember, you now need to bless others. In fact, it's a command. Jump back over to the First Timothy verse. If you have it in the NIV, I'll put it up here in the NIV because I think it just says it so succinctly. It says, <coughs> command them to do good to be rich in good deeds. And Pastor Scott talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Be rich in your good deeds. 
the talents that God has blessed you with, what do you do with those? And to be generous and willing to share. The phrase, do good deeds, is referring to this ancient Hebrew concept called the mitzvot. And the mitzvot is a word in Hebrew. It's the word commands. And so the ancient rabbis would teach the people and the Israelites that when we do the commands of God, when we do the good deeds, that it's a part of helping repair and restore the world to how God wants it to be. And so the verse, Ephesians 2.10, where it talks about you have been saved by grace to do good works. The, the New Testament capitalizes on this thought, this mitzvot, and it's saying you are saved to do mitzvot. You are saved to do good deeds. You are blessed to be a blessing to others. And don't ever forget that. Because we can get way too arrogant, way too haughty in thinking it all came from us. In fact, let me introduce a kind of a different concept to some of you because I want to elevate this beyond just our finances. And Pastor Scott shared this over the last couple of weeks about the things that we do, the good deeds that we do, the way that we serve. We are rich in money, but hear this as well. Many of us, many of us are also rich in time. Now, I know there are different times in our lives when time is more readily available. I can remember my college years that, oh my goodness, I, I, I hardly had any time at all. One semester I was taking over 23 units, um, and it just like drained me. And I realized between the months of September and, and December, I didn't have a lot of time. I had a little bit more freed up time in January between terms, and then back into February and up through May, didn't have a lot of time. Summer I had more time. So there were different seasons in my life when I had time. Some of you who, um, uh, but then I graduated from college and realized, wow, look at how much time I have. And then when um, I had kids, I realized, wow, I have no time again because it's all kind of invested in those kids. And, and I didn't realize how much time I had before we had kids. And so there's different seasons in life when you have more time than others. And so if you're at a place right now where you don't have a lot of time, um, just save this little bit of information I'm going to give you. Save this kind of this thought uh, for when you do. But here's the concept that I want to give to you. Anyone who works, and, and if you work for a company, school teacher, whatever it may be, most employers will put some retirement plan into the uh, stock market for you so that it'll be there uh, when you retire and you can enjoy that time in your life. It's called dollar cost averaging. And so out of every paycheck, many employers will take out a little bit, no matter if the market's high or low, put it into the market, dollar cost averaging, so that you pre-decide money for retirement on the front end, not the back end. You don't even see it. It goes there, and it's there for you when you get there. More of us need to decide to pre-decide our time and our money and give it to the Lord. Dollar cost living is what I want to call it. You say, what does that mean? Maybe you have three weeks vacation. On the front end, beginning of the year, can you look at that vacation and say, hey, what if for one of those weeks we serve the Lord? What if we went on a mission trip? What if we got involved in our church? 
What if we did our VBS program or, or really threw ourselves the time off that we can serve others? Maybe we got involved in a ministry here in Stockton or another place that needs us to come in and do some work and improve the conditions so that they can minister in an effective way. We, we, we don't give the leftovers but on the front end, we say, okay, God, I know I'm going to have a little bit of time here, and so I want to give it to you predetermined so you don't give God leftovers. I mean, leftovers aren't for God. Who are leftovers? Leftovers are for family, right? Could you imagine serving company leftovers, much less God leftovers? And so if you take this thought of this command seriously to, 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 to be generous, willing to share, to be rich in good deeds, um, maybe you could start dollar-cost living with your time. Because I know my time, I always kind of want to keep it my time, and I value my time, and I want it to be mine. Instead of saying, okay, God, how can you use this time for others instead of just selfishly for me? You realize that that's how First Baptist it's gotten to be the church it is today. Because right now there are people dollar cost living with their time that got here early in the morning. Some are up in the sound booth right now who are here 6, 6.30 in the morning saying, I want to serve. There's a sixth grader who does work up there with her dad. One's on sound, one's on lighting. She says, I'm going to give up some of my time so I can come serve here. We have teams that come and greet in the Welcome Center, 7 o'clock in the morning. We pray together and prepare for the day. Ushers and greeters come early to be here so that they can serve you when you come. That whole children's building, staffed with people say, I'm going to dollar cost live my life, prepare on the front end my time, dollar time living, so that I can serve on Sunday mornings on a regular basis. I know Pastor Scott challenged you to do this. Maybe that's what you need to kind of have that concept a little bit more. That's how our church does what it does. So, so we have worship teams who gather here at 7 a.m. in the morning so that they can play the drums, the piano, the keyboard, and lead us in worship at 8 o'clock service at 9.30 and 11.15. As rich people, in, rich in time, rich in money, probably many of us rich in both, we need to act more on the front end and not give God the leftovers. And so the Old Testament principle of this is a sense of the tithe. That was giving God the best, giving your first fruits to Him, giving it off the top to Him, not giving God our leftovers. That's, that's dollar-cost living. Where, where you say, God, you have my best. I'm going to give that to you first. And whatever percentage that may be. And while the Old Testament requirement was to give 10%, that's an Old Testament type of principle that was there, Jesus does something very curious in the New Testament. Jesus makes it more about a matter of the heart in which we give to God. Watch how he does this. In Matthew 23, 23. He's talking with some religious leaders, and he drops the H word on them. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Here it is, you hypocrites. He says, for you tithe, like the Old Testament says, like the covenant says, you tithe, the law says, the mint, the dill, the cumin, the things that you have. But you know what? You've neglected. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, matters of the heart, being true. These 
you ought to have done. Yes, I want you to do those without neglecting the others. So, so yes, that, that tithe is a good thing. Bring that to the Lord, yes. But don't forget, it's about a matter of the heart. And, and I don't know if you know this or not, but what Jesus does is, is he just ups the ante. He says, you know, it's, it's, it's no longer this legalistic kind of 10% that you have to give. I, I still see him saying that, yes, you should. Yes, that's good to bring in. But, but now it's, it's a matter of the heart. And grace actually gives more. Because Jesus knew the number one competition for your heart was going to be your what? Your money, your finances, your things, your, your, your stuff. And so he says, that's what I want behind it. And the fact of the matter is that grace, which is now a part of the New Testament, always gives more than the law. You say, well, how so? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching Sermon on the Mount. He says to the folks, he says, he says, you know what? You've heard me and you've heard it said from the Old Testament preachers. He didn't use the word Old Testament because he was living in the New Testament, but from, from, the, from the scribes and the leaders and the culture. He said, you've heard it said from, from God in the Old Testament that... Um, you're not supposed to murder. I tell you, if you're even angry, you have murdered in your heart. See where it is? Old Testament, the law says the actual, you're not supposed to murder. New Testament, he comes in, he says, but you've just done it in your heart. You've already done it. Jesus says, um, you've heard it said you're not supposed to commit adultery. That's the Old Testament covenant. But you've looked lustfully at a woman who's not your wife. You look lustfully at a woman You've already committed adultery. Said, you're supposed to take um, the bags of, of someone for a mile. Legally, that's what they had to do. A Roman centurion can come along and say, hey, carry this a mile. Okay, by covenant, you're supposed to do that. He said, don't just do one. Go two. You've heard it said that you're supposed to give your, your tunic to someone. Don't just give them your tunic. Give them your cloak as well. Up it. Grace always gives more. And that's the concept, I think, that Jesus is bringing in here. Grace always gives more than the law. In fact, under the law, it took a lamb to pay for our sins. Under grace, who did it take to pay for our sins? Jesus. It took Jesus, the life of Jesus. Grace always gives more than the law. Don't give God leftovers. I mean, we are rich. We should be the most generous people in the world. And First Baptist, we function because you step up. And there are so many of you who do this, who give planned out, regular, sacrificial, grace-driven gifts to the ministry of First Baptist. That's dollar-cost living. And on a regular basis, you bring that and you give that as an offering of praise and grace and love and sacrifice to the church. Unfortunately, the statistics across the country say that uh, the average Christian gives 2.7%. 2.7. Not even close to the Old Testament standard of the tithe. Nowhere near what even grace would say as we, grace always gives even more. Probably because we've been stuck in just giving leftovers. Lefto I mean, can you imagine what the world would think of Christians if, um, if we gave from a grace-filled heart? I mean, people would have a hard time hating someone 
who serves them. People have a hard time hating someone who comes to their rescue. People have a hard time hating someone and thinking badly about someone who gives when they see a need. I mean, you could revolutionize your Christian faith and, and, and let it shine before people. Because I pray there'll be a day when you do that and, and you will leverage your time and you will leverage your money for God. And since you have more money and since you have more time, you will do more and you will give more. And perhaps one day someone will ask you and you'll get to explain because I serve a God who gives his leftovers. No. I serve a God who gives his son and gave him on a cross to die for me. That's why we do it. And we sang that song. You'll be hearing that song more as we're leading up to Easter time. That's when we celebrate God giving his son and having him raised from the dead. He didn't give us leftovers. He gave his best. And I just pray as you pray about that, that it won't be done because I'm telling you to do it. It won't be done because, well, there's this Old Testament thing, this time. No, no, no. It will be done out of grace. Because Jesus upped it. And grace always gives more than the law. It's a matter of the heart. Because where your heart gives, that's where your treasure is going to be. Don't, don't, don't let that heart follow the treasure. Make the treasure follow your heart. And in the midst of that, I think we have a God who just loves to surprise us and bless us. I'll tell you how that came about on our trip. I brought up to you about the story of the gal who lost her phone on the, on the bus. She quickly came to the place of saying, okay, someone needed it worse than me, and her heart was in a good place. Last night we're there in Haiti. Um, the organizer of the Mission of Hope came over to our seat, where, our table where we were having dinner. He said, is this the Stockton group? We said, yes. He said, well, is this so-and-so? And we said, yeah, she's right there. And he looked at her and he said, um, we've just been notified by the authorities that they have your phone in their possession. We said, how in the world did that happen? Out of a country of 9 million people for her phone to reappear, would that phone reappear here in Stockton, California? <laughs> I do not think so. Uh-uh. And yet they just said, we, we arrested a man who had your phone on him. We looked through the contacts. We found one listed as dad. We called. Dad said, well, you know what? Here's the contact. Back in Mission of Hope. They called here. They've tracked it down. And now you just need to go to the police station tomorrow, and they'll have their phone for you. Now, I'm not saying because you give that that's going to happen, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not going to say because you give you're going to have all this. All, no, 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 no. Please don't hear me on that. I just know we serve a God who loves to bless in those ways and just reminds us. And perhaps that event was about that gal's heart and seeing that her heart just says, I'm not connected to my stuff. And when we come to that place, it's as though God brings us to a new place in our lives and sometimes he even just loves to throw the stuff back on us. We serve a good God. We serve a great God. Let's not give him leftovers. Let's give him our best. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we bring to you our best today. Whether it be a sacrifice of praise, whether it be a sacrifice of finances, whether it be a sacrifice of service, we bring to you our best. 
And even now, as we lift a few more worship songs to you, I pray that our hearts would be in the right place. I pray again, it will be about a matter of the heart. It won't just be about some Old Testament principle that we now have to stand and sing and be on church on Sunday morning. God, it will be about the hearts and the grace and the love that flows. And so, Lord, may that grace and that love flow to you now as we worship you and then leave this building to truly be your witnesses in love with you in the world. We give to you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.